Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Pastor Tim got us started in our little Advent mini-series from Hebrews, and I'll be continuing in our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Read along with me from God's Word. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. Let us ask for God's help as we come to his word. Lord in heaven, open our eyes that we might see, open our hearts that we might understand, open our lips that we might praise you, open our, our minds that we would perceive what you would have us to perceive. Let us not be blind, let us not be dull or dumb, but let us be uh, knowledgeable and give us understanding that we would behold glorious things that you have spoken in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever had a, a gift given, or maybe you've changed a habit or a practice, and it was just so good, or just so much better, that you said, I'm never going back to the old way. Uh, I had a friend in seminary who had this really nice goat skin Bible, it was a really soft cover, it was kind of felt flimsy, but it was just a real quality product. And uh, he said he forgot it one time when he went to Bible study or church. Uh, and then he said, you know, he's touching a, a Bible for the plebeians. And he said, where's my goat skin? Ugh, I can't, I, can't, I need my goat skin. It was just so much better. It was of such a greater, uh, uh, such a greater product that he was, I'm, I'm not going back to, to old Bibles. I'm going to have my nice new one wherever I go. The book of Hebrews, through and through, chapters 1 through 13, uh, is about the new covenant, and it's about Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and he is so much better than the old covenant. He is a better priest, he's a better prophet, pastor. Tim mentioned last week, how, as he uh, read through the first part of this, that uh, God doesn't speak through the prophets. He speaks through His Son. The Son is better than the prophets. He's better than the priest. He's a better rest than the Sabbath could give. He is a mediator of a better covenant. X, Y, Z. Jesus is better, better, better. And I pray that as you have experienced Jesus, uh, you would find Him to be better and you would say, I'm not going back to whatever it is that you might go back to. A lifestyle, uh, a situation, a place a religion, if you find Jesus, I pray that you would find him to be so much better that you say, I'm not going back. For the original audience of the book of Hebrews, the temptation to go back was very strong. They, the book is the book to the Hebrews, after all, which is the Jewish people and the descendants of Abraham, and so they were, they were Jews, practiced Judaism, and the feeling would be, well, Jews and Christians worship the same God. And so we've got this old covenant, this old way of doing things. And uh, now as Christ has come, he's revealed new things. We're called to follow him, believe in him, 
but for the original audience in Hebrews, there was a temptation to turn away from Jesus and go back to the Old Covenant because things were hard in attempting to follow the way and follow Jesus. So that's a theme that I want us to understand is that Jesus is better, right? And today we'll be talking about that Jesus is better than the angels. But first, before we dive in, we have to ask the question, why angels? Um, thankfully, this is uh, the Advent season, Christmas, and angels are everywhere when it comes to Christmas. Many of our songs are about angels. Hark the herald, angels sing. Angels we have heard on high. Angels from the realms of glory. We associate angels with Christmas, as um, Joe just read from an account of an angel speaking to Joseph. Uh, but I do not know how much uh, the author of Hebrews had Christmas in mind. And yet Christmas is about Jesus. Hebrews 1 is about Jesus. The connection is pretty easy to draw. But he has something to teach us about angels that's uh, better than what we're learning in our Christmas carols. And in the history of the church, there's been a lot of different teaching on angels. Um, maybe you've heard of the perhaps useless debates in theology uh, where the theologians get around and they debate and they squabble and they try to figure out how many angels can stand on the head of a pin. Right? That's, that's how some people spend their time. And I've read big books. I had to read big books in seminary. Uh, that I, I, had to get the, I had to read them to get the points. There were parts I wanted to skip because they were kind of boring, but I wanted the points. I want to be a good student. Uh, and there were debates over, do we have guardian angels? Do we not have guardian angels? What does this guy say? What does that guy say? And angels were, were talked about. Um, maybe you even remember the old show. It's kind of before my time, but I kind of remember it as a kid, touched by an angel. Right? So we've got, we've got angels in our culture. We've got shows that they show up. Um, angels part of the Christmas season. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. I've heard these things. So we have a lot to say and think about with angels, uh, but not necessarily the things that the author of Hebrews would have us to hear and to know about angels. An what, is, what is an angel? Well, the word angel is just a Greek word that means messenger. Angels deliver messages. Messages. So in, in Revelation, you have the letters to the seven churches, and it says to the angel in the church of Sardis, to the angel in the church of... Laodicea, it's, uh, is it an angel or is it just the pastor, the one who delivers messages there? Uh, there's a little bit of debate, but simply an angel is one who delivers a message. So it makes sense that the author of Hebrews would first, uh, with his grand opening, say that long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then he would go on to talk about angels. A prophet is a messenger and an angel is a messenger. But what is their message? Well, as we've just sung, and as we will continue to sing over the next couple of weeks, the message that angels deliver is simply this. Christ has come. Join us in worshiping Him. So the author of Hebrews wants to divert our attention away from angels, as we might be fascinated with them, and towards Jesus. So I want to share three words or ideas that we'll be unpacking uh, and you might get a little bit of a kick out of them as I've come up with some strange words. But we're going to talk about quality, quiddity, and quotient. Uh, I've, I, I got started on these cues and I just couldn't, couldn't stop. <clears throat> so first, quality. 
looking at verse 1, it says he spoke through the prophets, and now he speaks through the Son. So he speaks through, he speaks through, God speaks through different messengers, right? The prophets, angels, his own son, they're all messengers. And they're all essentially delivering the same message. All have the voice of God speaking through them. Prophets speak rightly and truly with the voice of God. Angels come from God's presence and they deliver a message from God. And they have, they have the voice of God speaking through them. And obviously the son speaks with the voice of God. Uh, so, we want to talk about the quality. The, the, the quality of the voice of the Son is greater than that of the prophets or the, or the angels. They deliver the same message, but uh, the message is being delivered in a different way, uh, and it's, it's a better way. Uh, as we um, think, of, think of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, uh, the significance of the, the, the unity of the, the message of the prophets and of the Son, that uh, the, the, the message is, is not changed, it's the same. In this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, there's Lazarus sitting at the gate, and the, the rich man lets him eat scraps. And Lazarus is a righteous man, and the rich man is not. And they both die. And the rich man ends up in that place where he is consumed by fire and is begging for a single drop of water to cool his tongue. And Lazarus is with Abraham, and there is a chasm between them. And the rich man is given a glimpse of Lazarus and Abraham, and he says, send me back that I can warn my brothers. And what does Abraham say? If they will not listen to the prophets, they will not listen to a man who comes back from the dead. So we can have confidence that the prophets speak a great and clear message, and yet the son speaks with a message of greater quality. The prophets speak for God. They're important. They're key. Their message is tough. Uh, they are often persecuted. What did Christ say? That a prophet isn't welcome in his own town. Uh, the prophets speak with confidence. As they say, thus saith the Lord. And the angels, they come. They deliver a message. Angels came, spoke to Daniel, who was a prophet. They spoke to leaders like Gideon. Uh, or they spoke to ordinary people like Samson's parents. And so we see them deliver the Word of God with great power. Most often when an angel shows up, people are terribly afraid. And sometimes they're even drawn to worship, even though the angel would reject that. So they deliver a message. That's one way that they serve God. But we can think that it's, it's helpful. An angel goes, delivers a message. Uh, and kids, maybe you uh, are familiar with this as uh, your sibling has gone, uh, has been, has, it delivers a message from mom or dad, and they say, well, mom said, clean up your room, or dad said, come upstairs. And uh, you may have a different reaction to that message. If you are confident that that's the message that's being delivered from mom or dad, you're probably going to respond, but you could also say, uh, I'm not listening to you. Uh, <clears throat> and that's, that's the way it was for the prophets. They were delivering the angels. They're delivering a message on behalf of God. But when the son delivers a message, it's like mom or dad coming themselves and saying, clean up your room, come upstairs, or come with me. Uh, there's, no, there's no gap between the deliverance of the message. The messenger and the one who has the authority to give the message are the same person. So when the son speaks, 
It's a message of a superior quality. But the quality of the message or the voice is not just greater. The medium is greater. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, the medium is the message. What does that mean? The how is just as important, perhaps even more important, than the what. So we could say that uh, the tone matters, right? You can say, I love you, but you could also say, I love you, and it communicates a different message. Uh, as, as there's, there's more than just the words. We could say, well, the prophets have the words of God, the, the angels have the words of God, so what's the difference? Well, it's completely different when the Son speaks, uh, and He speaks with His own voice. Uh, that there is no, uh, there's, n- there's no barrier, there's no translation uh, coming. We say that the medium matters. It matters for all of our communication. It matters for our worship. Um, and, and the idea that the medium matters is you can communicate a message in a lot of ways. You can use words on a paper. You can speak the message. You can actually um, paint a picture, and the picture would have a message. Or um, we could show a film, and it could be a film about um, the gospel story. There would be a message but the medium would speak just as much as uh, whatever words we were trying to get across. And so there's even a medium in our worship. This is a Presbyterian church. We try to do our worship in a way that's Presbyterian, which aims at this concept of simplicity, right? Uh, we're trying not to be too fancy. We get up here. We want, qu- we want quality work being done, but we want to simply read Scripture, call to worship, want to... Re- we want to hear, have you hear the Scriptures in prayer. We want you to have the Scriptures explained to you in a sermon. We want to sing the Scriptures in our songs because we don't want to confuse you with other mediums. We just want to deliver the message of the Word of God. And so the medium matters. But as the sun comes, what, is, what do the Scriptures say? What does John tell us? John says, the Word became flesh. Prophets and angels deliver a message about Jesus, but Jesus delivers a message about himself. The message has not changed, but the medium has. Now it's not somebody speaking on behalf of Jesus, it's him speaking himself. Thomas saw and he believed, but what does Jesus say to him and say to us? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So Jesus is greater than the angels because the quality and the clarity of his voice is superior. But also, as I've mentioned, he's simply a greater person. And that's what this word quiddity means. This funny word that I mentioned earlier. Uh, if you're keeping notes, I'll spell it for you. Q-U-I-D-D-I-T-Y. Quiddity. Well, what does it mean? Well, I had no idea what it meant when I first heard it. It comes from the Latin quid. Maybe some of you students know what that means. It means what? Quid. What? So what we're asking, uh, when we're asking what does quiddity mean, we're asking what does what mean? Quiddity, quiddity refers to the essence of something. Uh, it's, it's whatness. So the word, it may not be obvious, but uh, the concept is, why is Jesus better than the angels? He's a greater being. He's not an angel. He's not uh, only a man. Uh, he is man and God. He is a greater being. And during the uh, period of the early church, as uh, there were debates around uh, Christology uh, and heresies were 
coming about through false teaching, uh, there was uh, the teaching of Eutychius and Eutychianism. I'm not going to spell that for you. Uh, in Eutychius was trying to explain how could Jesus be who he is and do what he does, right? He's, he's God, he's man, we've got the Gospels, they explain this. But how, how do both come together, right? I mean, a person is kind of one thing. I'm a man. That's what I am. God is God. He's not a man. But Jesus is God and man. How can this be? And Eutychius tried to explain that there was a, a mixing of the two natures so that there was this one new nature, this God-man-ish nature. Uh, and he's like, see, Jesus is this God-man nature in this person. The problem with that is it makes him neither truly a man nor truly God. He's, as they said, a tertium quid, a third what. Uh, there's this, this God-man thing that doesn't really exist. He's God and man, 100% each. Uh, and so... Uh, Eutychius was spouting heresy and was uh, condemned and corrected for it. Uh, and we are warned to this day to avoid that. So it may appear obvious that the Son of God is superior to the angels, but we need to look at uh, what is the author of Hebrews doing as he's trying to teach us that Christ is superior to the angels. And as you notice uh, in your Bibles, it's most likely broken into lots of white space as there's these quotes. You see the quotation marks. There's uh, a few quotes here. Uh, they're all from the Old Testament because that's the Bibles that they would have had easiest access to as the New Testament was being written. And uh, the, uh, the author of Hebrews is laying out an argument through these Old Testament quotes. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the details, but he's, uh, interestingly, if you were to flip into the Old Testament and look up these quotes, you might find them to be in some instances, slightly different than your Old Testament Bibles. Because your Old Testament is written in Hebrew and translated into English, and the author of Hebrews is quoting from a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And so sometimes there's these little differences. Um, they don't change the message, but they can sometimes change a clause or a spelling or a phrasing of a word. So the quotes are interesting, but the, uh, the quotes are, are also the argument. So he's laying forth an argument here. And he first, he starts with a quote from Psalm 2-7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, if you notice in uh, verse 5, there's two question marks. Uh, it can sometimes be confusing because these, when you look at the quotes in the Old Testament, those aren't questions. But if you see how the uh, sentence is started in verse 5, you can see that he's starting a question. He's starting his argument by asking a question. For to which of the angels did God ever say, quote, and quote, uh, and that's why those question marks are there. He's, by asking this rhetorical question, he, uh, he's already assuming that the answer is no. God never said this to an angel. He says it to his son. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The point that the author is making is that the son is truly the son. So we have another heresy to talk about. That's the heresy of Arianism, which would say that the Son is subordinate to God and is not truly one with the Father. Uh, and so there's these ideas that God may have picked one of his best angels, like a, like a Michael or a Gabriel, and said, ah, this one's Jesus. That's the name I'm going to give him, and I'm going to have him do a special mission for me. 
and I'm going to call him my son because he's, he's special. All right, he's going to have a special relationship with me. I'm going to kind of adopt him as my son and uh, send him into the world to do this mission for me. The author of Hebrews is saying that's not, that's, not a, that's not a helpful explanation of what's going on. How is Jesus the Son of God? He's saying he is the Son of God because he's begotten. Right? Sons are begotten. They, aren't, uh, they can be adopted, but uh, this Son, Christ, is truly the Son of God because He is truly begotten. But what does begotten mean, right? So we run into some of this other Old Testament language. Where, where do people come up with this idea that a son, like an angel might be adopted uh, to be God's son for a special mission? Uh, well, it com- comes partly from Psalm 8 and other passages where this, this poetic language of the sons of God um, is used to describe the angels because they minister to him, they're in his presence, they're, they're uh, celestial beings. So there's a sense in which it can be used in a poetic sense. But in Psalm 2, the psalm is a, about this son that God has to reign over the earth, uh, this son that is begotten. And so the argument for the Arians or those who would say that an angel has been adopted for this would be to say, look at Psalm 8. See, the, the angels are kind of referred to as the Son of God or sons of God. So I, why can't Jesus kind of be in that category? And Psalm two, the author points to Psalm 2 to say, no, he is, he is different. He is begotten. Uh, so to which of the sons did God say today I've begotten you? And the answer is none of them. But what does begotten mean? It means to, to beget your sire. It means that the Son has come from the Father. So now we're getting into the doctrine of the Trinity. We've dealt with a little Christology. Here's some Trinitarian theology. So grammatically, we have some options for interpretation. It looks like Psalm 8 gives us an option. Psalm 2 gives us an option. How do we pick and choose? Well, theologically, we can find an answer. Grammar gives us the options, but theology often gives us the answers. In the Godhead of the Trinity, there are three persons. There's a threeness and a oneness. God is one and yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it speaks of unity and distinctness. But how? There's heretical ditches to our right and our left, and even below us and above us. So we always tread carefully when we come to the Trinity. Uh, but uh, we can fly straight through the clear sky uh, with using uh, traditional Trinitarian language, such as the, the personal properties of the divine persons. So the Father is unbegotten, the Son is begotten, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. We use this in our creeds. Uh, so what does that even mean? It's simple enough, but what does it mean? Well, it sounds like you know, the Father's here, the Son's here, the Spirit's here, but that is not what it is. There's a, uh, there's a relation between them that is explained, uh, but the key to understanding it is also a key to their oneness. They are all eternal. So the Father is eternally unbegotten. The Son is eternally begotten. And the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. They were before time, uh, and they created time. God created time. And so uh, he is perfectly uh, whole in himself. Uh, and these relations and personal properties help us to explain their distinctness and yet their unity. So there never was a time when this was not true. Whereas Arius in the uh, third century was uh, writing hymns of heresy where he said uh, in, in, in Greek with a rhyme that there was a time when he was not. 
He's saying there was a time when the Son was not, and the Father created the Son, uh, which is uh, not, uh, not what, what Scripture teaches. As the Father says, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. Uh, and saying that he's eternally begotten of the Father, for they had always been having oneness and unity. So, uh, <clears throat> this, uh, the heresy of Arianism is also not just something from the third century, not just something that's historical fact, maybe it's helpful to know today, but uh, it's alive and well uh, with, among Jehovah's Witnesses. They would claim that the Son is less than the Father, that He's uh, adopted, that He is begotten in some time and space, uh, and He's some greater angel. Uh, but He is begotten of the Father, and so He is like the Father. So He speaks for the Father. Right? We've heard the parable of the, uh, the owner who uh, lent out his vineyard to tenants, and he sent servants to speak. The servants represented the prophets. And then he says, I will send my son. They will listen to my son, and they do not listen to the son. Uh, but if the son comes, he comes in the name of the father and in the, uh, in, on behalf of the father. So the son, being eternally begotten of the father, is greater than the angels. He is of a greater quiddity, a greater whatness. And so that's uh, what, uh, what these first two quotes are dealing with, is the Father and the Son. Then verse 6, he says that uh, he brings the firstborn into the world. And that's his, he, he brings his Son into the world, and he has um, made him greater than the angels. And even as Jesus might, in a sense, make himself less by becoming a man, yet the angels still worship him. He never laid aside his divinity when he came into the earth. He took upon his humanity. And so it says, let all God's angels worship him, which is what we see in Luke 2. Uh, we see that uh, the angels, when God's Son comes into the world, there must be worship of the Son. And so the angels come and they worship. And this quote uh, from uh, verse 6 is from Deuteronomy 32, interesting enough, uh, from Moses' song as he calls upon the whole world to worship God. And he's saying, let the rocks worship, let the hills and plains worship God, let all people, like Psalm 100, all people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. In Psalm 32, Moses is saying, let all the angels worship God. And the author of Hebrews plucks that out of Deuteronomy 32 and puts it here, and he says, they also worship the Son, because the Son is God Himself. And so, uh, the argument is that Jesus is greater than the angels, and He should not be confused with them. And the Hebrew audience was tempted to return to the ways of the Old Covenant, like I mentioned. Uh, this is, you know, we may not feel this temptation, we feel it pretty strongly, but it's, uh, humorously enough, I've never seen a church sign or a website for a church named Old Covenant Presbyterian Church. Right? You see covenant, you see new covenant, uh, but uh, we understand with the New Testament we've moved into a new era and uh, we, we've put aside uh, the old covenant in, in a sense. So this is uh, just the beginning of the book of Hebrews, but the rest of the book is making the same point. The new covenant is better than the old because of Christ. So prophets and angels no longer deliver messages, right? Right? Uh, I'm not expecting any angels to show up, uh, and I'm not expecting prophets to show up, although this is something sometimes people come along and they claim to be a prophet, or um, people have uh, 
perhaps seen an angel, but they no longer deliver messages because the sun has come. There is a cessation to their, their work uh, in bringing new revelation. And so I've heard um, stories of people having perhaps encounters with Jesus in their dreams or maybe even uh, an angelic being in their dreams, uh, particularly in the Middle East. Uh, we hear a lot of these stories coming out, and I, I don't doubt them uh, for a second, uh, but uh, what almost always seems to be the uh, end result of these uh, testimonies of God uh, interceding in a remarkable way is usually some, usually this, sometimes they could say it's, it's Jesus. He can, I don't know who he is, but he came to me in a dream. Oftentimes they just say, he told me to go find somebody, my friend or my, my mother who lives in Europe and I'm coming from the Middle East or uh, a complete stranger at a certain um, uh, road crossing. They tell me to go find this person who's going to show me a book and tell me about Jesus. And so even as there's these extraordinary ways, there's no new revelation. And so I'm not, uh, I don't get... Uh, uncomfortable with those stories. I get excited about them because always it's some extraordinary way that God is showing His mercy and grace and just trying to help point somebody to His Word. And then in the Word, they have all that is sufficient for life and godliness. And so as Jesus is a greater being than the angels, uh, he, is, he is to be worshipped, which is something the angels are not worthy of. And there are times when People attempted to worship angels in the Old Testament, and the angel said, stop. I'm just an angel delivering a message. Do not worship me. Worship God. There's one, of the, one of the two things that really makes God, God. One, he created everything. And two, he alone is worthy of worship. <clears throat> so we've talked about quality, we've talked about quiddity, and now quotient. Maybe some of you are groaning as I'm taking you back to math class. Uh, but quotient is that math term as we divide two things and we get a result. Um, it's just a helpful word to say that Christ is a better result. If you put your faith in Christ, he's a better result. He's a better quotient. So the temptation for the Hebrews was to go back, to look to angels, to look for some special revelation, to look for uh, something that was more comfortable, more helpful. But as this book calls us, the theme is consistent. Go to, go, turn, turn it to Hebrews 12. You would see that the author would just say, look to Jesus. Look forward. Don't look behind. Faith in Christ is a better result than the faith of the Old Testament. You don't have to look to the sacrifices. You don't have to look to um, the priests. Uh, you don't have to look to anything. You can look to Christ. There's, no, there's nothing in between you and Christ. So faith in Christ is a better result. Uh, <clears throat> Satan had a lie for the original audience in Hebrews. And his lie was this. Go back to the familiar and comfortable old ways. You still worship the same God after all. So just keep that 75%, the Old Testament, and just don't take on that extra 25%. And uh, you don't have to change much. You can still just worship the same God. But that's not what God says when his son comes, right? On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is transfigured. Peter, James, and John are there. They see Moses and Elijah, and they hear the voice of God. And what does he say? He says, this is my son. Listen to him. 
He came to save his people from their sins. The old covenant was pointing to Christ. So the temptation to turn back and to stay only at the 75% mark is a temptation to take the old covenant, know that there's some gaps, and to fill them in yourself with something more comfortable and not let them be filled in with the information that God has given. So the, angel, the angelic being had been sent dutifully to serve God, but an angelic being, if, if, you know, if Arianism is true and Christ is just some angelic being, uh, if, if these other options, if Eutychius is right and he's just some type of mixture, uh, we don't have the Christ, the whole Christ that we need. And we don't have one who is truly God and truly man and through faith in him who can truly save us from our sins. And so there is drama in turning away from the new and turning back to the old. And the drama is that, you, that they are being tempted to turn to a new gospel that they've created for themselves to fill in the blank, so to speak, of the old covenant and to create a God that they're more comfortable with rather than a God who is blowing up every misconception that they have and challenging them to uh, follow the sun, to stop uh, looking for prophets and angels and challenging them to put their faith in the sun even as they are experiencing persecution and hardship. The old is good, but the new is better. And so God, He speaks through His Son, not through the prophets or angels, but God speaks clearly and finally through His beloved Son. We don't have to look for something else. We don't have to wonder what would it be like to meet an angel. You don't have to, to ask those questions. You can see that He has made His angels' winds and His ministers a flame of fire. They serve Him. They're in whatever awe or grandeur they might carry, it's just the after effects of being in the presence of God. But through Jesus Christ, there is a way made forward that through faith in Him, there's no gap. There's no, uh, in a sense, no mediary because the mediary is God Himself in Christ. And so as God speaks through His Son, and as His Son has come to deliver His people from their sins, He's come and He's delivered a message, and the message is really nothing less than a message about Himself, that I have come to save you from your sins. And I am the only begotten of the Father, that whosoever believeth in Me shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we give you thanks for your word that you spoke in many times and in many ways, but now you have spoken finally through your Son. We don't have to wait for anything new. We don't have to look for any other answers. We have a clear word from you in Jesus Christ, and we have a clear object for our faith. We don't have to put our faith in anything else. We can put our faith in Jesus and have confidence that He can lay a hand on us both and reconcile us to You. So we thank You, O Father, and we praise You, and we worship You, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and bless Your name forever and ever. Amen.